Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Our scripture today comes to us from Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 40. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I am a Rams fan. However, I am not an avid fan. I support them because I grew up in Southern California, and when I grew up, they were still the Los Angeles Rams. Now they are back to where they belong. When I wear this jersey out in public, it immediately identifies me as belonging to a particular group. There will be those individuals who will see my shirt and ask, so how do you think the Rams are going to do this year? It's a way in which this jersey identifies me with them. There's a bond. We belong to the same group. Individuals wear a wide variety of clothing that identifies them to belonging to a particular group. We also have other ways in which we do that. But it wasn't always that way. If we went back far enough into the history of Homo sapiens, we would understand that there was a time when sapiens were very individualistic-oriented. They were concerned with their immediate needs. We could call them selfish. But that's how they survived. It was the way in which they were able to flourish, as if they took care of themselves, and then by extension, those within their immediate family, their kin. Over time, however, as sapiens continued to develop, a new possibility emerged, and that was cooperation. When you met someone else, and if your demeanor was such that you were kind to them, someone perhaps in the extended family or another tribe, if you would be able to meet with them and have that bond develop, you could actually do more together than you could alone. Scientists have studied chimpanzees, and in their natural habitat, they have never found two chimpanzees carrying a log together. It's just not how they work. Chimpanzees will not cooperate to fulfill a task. On the other side... If you look at bees, bees are about all cooperation. So if we are, as human beings, we are 90% like those chimpanzees. 
And we are 10% like the bees who will work together in their hive. That creates an interesting dimension. Because when we are willing to work together, we form what is called a group. Instead of calling it a team, we would call it a group. That is your in-group. That's where you belong. Those are the individuals that you cooperate with. And when you're a part of that, we create what is called an in-group bias. We will show preferential treatment to those individuals who are in our group. And it only makes sense, right? If you're going to cooperate, you're going to get along together, then you will treat each other in a way that will facilitate that. Now, if you tend to be a loner within that group, you can find yourself slowly pushed to the margins of your group, and some groups will actually expel you from it in order to keep group cohesion. When you read the Old Testament, it's fascinating to see how, as the stories are told, we see this development of in-group. You think about Abraham. When we first meet Abraham, he already has his family. He already has his group, which is more than just his family. It's his servants. And when Abraham shifts and moves out, and he he has his descendants, this group begins to grow. By the time we come to Israel, Jacob, by the time we come to him, he has his children, and he has 12 sons, which will become known as the 12 tribes of Israel. So the in-group expands from a nuclear family into a larger clan to tribes, And then eventually, these tribes will unite, according to the story, and create a nation. But there's this in-group bias that exists from the very beginning to even the time they form a nation. Even in the New Testament, we find these groups. The religious leaders, a group, priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, each of them are individual groups, but together they form a bigger group. You have the working class, which would be another group. You have Jesus and his disciples, a group. And even in the New Testament, we see Jesus acting in harmony with in-group bias. There are things that he will tell his followers, his immediate 12 disciples, that he won't tell anyone else a preferential treatment, in-group bias. And it is that that allows human beings to continue to finish and get things done. So it's a real positive until one group interacts with another group. Now, if that first interaction is such that there is minimal threat then they basically become indifferent to each other. In our house right now, we have two dogs. I would say 90% of the time, they are indifferent to each other. They're operating on an individualistic means. So that can happen with groups. Groups can connect or be exposed to each other, but yet they will remain on their own, indifferent to each other. 
But if there appears to be a threat, then hostility can slowly begin to merge. Imagine back in the hunting gathering days. You have one particular group of individuals who know how to work together to make sure that there's enough food in order to survive. They move from one location to the next location depending on the weather. But then this new group comes into their territory. You would think that the easy thing to do would be to join together. But the way our brains work was such that we actually stay apart from each other. Now, if this initial group begins to see this new group as a threat to taking their food, to taking their nuts and the berries, they can position themselves in such a way that they will begin to discourage this group from remaining in their territory. And it's possible that it can come into all-out war. We see the exact same thing happening today. We form groups all the time. We have groups based upon politics. The two dominant parties in the United States, the Democrats and the Republicans, two distinct groups. It's fascinating that individuals who belong to one of these parties, actually, the majority of them will vote, I mean, not vote, they will actually say that they don't want their children to marry someone who belongs to that other political party. But it's not only politics, it's geography. Individuals who grew up on the East Coast versus those who grew up on the West Coast, those from the Midwest have things in their own culture in ways of doing things that the people in the South would not be able to understand. So even by geography, we have these different groups. We do it also by sports. We do it by ideologies, capitalism, socialism, We have all these different isms, and we want to label people and plug them into these groups and then surmise certain things about them. And it even exists in religion. Spiritual communities are known for having this in-group bias, how you treat your own versus those on the outside. Four years ago, we saw this. As the United States, there are some who want to continue to identify us as a Christian nation. Therefore, it would make sense to have a Muslim ban because they are not welcome into our group, especially if we see them as a threat. You see, the more you are locked in to your particular group and you believe that you are exceptional, the greater the chance of hostility. In 2009, a survey was done by researchers at Middlesex University in London. And in this study, it showed that an inflated sense of a group's exceptionalism can bring about a shared emotional investment strong enough, you ready? Strong enough to trigger excessive aggression directed at other groups. 
We're seeing this right now. Antifa, Proud Boys, white supremacists, Black Lives Matter. There's these different groups that we we pigeonhole ourselves in. And that can create this conflict because our loyalty is so strong to these groups and sometimes we are not even aware of it because of our instinctual desire to belong to a group. Even in the Bible, we see examples of this. There's a story in the gospel that you heard it just being read where the disciples get upset with this other group because they are casting out demons in the name of Jesus. They're saying to Jesus, hey, these people, they're not part of us. They're not a part of our group. They shouldn't be doing this. And then Jesus replies, not so fast. You see, Jesus understood in group. He belonged to a group. He had bias for that group. But he allowed, he did not allow that to stop him from taking that same bias and slowly growing it outward. As a good Jewish man, he should not talk to a Samaritan woman, but he did. As a good Jewish man, he should not allow himself to be touched or to touch an unclean person, but he did. As a good Jewish male, he should make a difference between his ethnicity and the Gentiles, but he didn't. Jesus understood his group, but he was continually willing to take that bias, those preferences, and slowly expand it out of side of his group, realizing that he belonged to more than just that group. A psychologist by the name of Dunham is continually working for that same end, to expand the size of our group. But he doesn't want us to lose that instinctual part of who we are. He says the following, from an evolutionary perspective, I'm not sure in-group bias is something we would actually want to overcome because it constitutes so much of how we learn as a cultural, social species. So what he's saying is we do belong to groups. I am a Rams fan. I am a male. I am white. And I do have privilege. That categorizes me. That immediately places me within a group. But what I do with that is up to me. And so whatever groups you are in, what you do with that is up to you. How strong your in-group bias is 
will have a huge impact upon how you treat people in other groups. We continue to hear that if we progress in the way we are as a country, those that groups that we have considered to be not minorities will soon become the majority. That's really unsettling for a lot of people. Why? Because they're used to life the way it is in their group. But that's shifting. How we respond individually and in groups and as a country will have significant impact. But it starts with us, and it works itself all the way up to Washington, D.C. We continue to see the woes surrounding our partisanship within Congress. We have two different groups. As a senator or as a representative, you are graded for how loyal you are to your group. That will determine if you're reelected. And what we're missing out right now is what philosopher John Stuart Mill said about a century and a half ago. A party of order or stability, and a party of progress or reform, a party of order or stability, conservatives, the Republicans, a party of progress or reform, liberals or Democrats, are both necessary elements of a healthy state of political life. We only got a few more weeks, and November 3rd will be here. As you continue to reflect upon your moral foundations, which ones are important to you, which ones you will not compromise with, where does loyalty reside? Is your loyalty to an in-group so strong that you're not willing to see beyond it? You're not willing to treat others that don't belong to your group in the way that you treat those within your group? Or is your loyalty not only to your own group, but your loyalty is beyond that and is expanding toward all of humanity? You need to decide first and foremost where your loyalty is and how strong it is. And then as you look at the different candidates that you'll be voting for, ask yourself, do these individuals align with my sense of loyalty? Is it important to you that your candidate is party line, that remains loyal to your party no matter what? Because you're going to vote party line, you want them, when they represent you, to be party line. Or will you gravitate toward those individuals who are more open, who, yes, have a loyalty to their particular political party, but they have a greater loyalty 
And that greater loyalty is to our country, and even greater than that, it is a loyalty to all of humanity. How much of that will you allow to weigh in as you decide who you're going to vote for? We have an incredible opportunity before us, an opportunity to vote based upon our moral foundations. I hope you will take advantage of this moment to reground yourself into your morals and what is important to you. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.